Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When you go to the doctor and you get a routine checkup, one of the first things that the doctor does is he kind of he pushes and, and, and put, pull, prods on your body a little bit. He kind of pushes here, maybe on your chest, and says, well, does this hurt? Maybe on your back, does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does this hurt? And sometimes it gets to that one point where he pushes on a place and you scream out in pain. And the doctor says, okay, one of two things is wrong. Either one, he pushed a little bit too hard. Or two, maybe, probably the more likely, something is wrong. And in which case, then the doctor, when he thinks that maybe something's wrong there, he says, okay, we need to think about this. When you run some tests, we need to talk about it. We need to figure out why this hurts because it shouldn't hurt there. And so much the same, it's it's very similar that when pastors, when pastors preach about financial responsibility, sometimes people cry out in pain, criticizing criticizing either the message or the messenger. But just like our example with the doctor, either one of two things is wrong. Either one, the pastor pushed too hard, or maybe there's actually something wrong there. And in that case, in which there's something wrong there, the only thing that we can do is grow, go to our great physician, to our great physician in heaven, to figure out why does it hurt there, because it shouldn't hurt there. And so today, today we're going to talk about financial responsibility, which is what we oftentimes call stewardship. Now, I'm not going to push too hard. I'm simply going to explain what we call stewardship God's way. We're not going to talk about budgets or, or weekly offerings or anything of the like. We're simply going to go through Scripture and look at what God says about our financial responsibility, what God says about being a good steward. And so today, today we're going to go through five different principles. The first being that God made all things and that all things belong to Him. The second is that we don't act like it belongs to God. Third is that our response to God as stewards is based on his love shown for us in Jesus Christ. The fourth, that God loves a cheerful giver. And the fifth is that we give to the Lord. And so we begin. We begin here where stewardship began. And where did it all begin? It all began in the very beginning. In Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's where it all began. God was the one who created everything, and so it all belongs to God. All the things that we have are God's. And then in Psalm 50, a little bit later, God, this is God speaking. He says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. So it's all God's. It all belongs to God. We can claim nothing as our own. But oftentimes we find ourselves saying, Well, I've earned it. I've earned what I have in life. But we didn't. Because God's the one who gives you those talents and abilities. God's the one who gives you those talents and abilities to go out and work and earn that living in that way. God's the one who sees to it that your investments go up and down. God's the one who gives you your clothes, your food, your house, your home. Everything that you have, God gives you. God is the one who gives to us as he pleases and as he sees is fit and best for us. God is also the one who can take it all away in an instant. Just look at Job. We hear the story of Job. Job, who was such a rich man, who had so great, much great land and, and cattle, and he had a wonderful family. He had so many great things, and it was all taken away from him. He lost his family, his land, and all his cattle, all in this great disaster. And yet, look at the words that Job said in response to that. 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Truly Job saw, Job knew who it all belongs to. And so God gives us all that we have, but so what? He gives us all we have, but then God says, now you have dominion over it. This is what he says in Genesis. God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God makes everything and he gives us all things to have dominion over it, to be good stewards, to be his stewards. His stewards are the ones who take care of the things that he gives us. But the problem is, all too often, we act like it belongs to us. We like to accumulate things. We live in a world in which the world constantly tells us we have to have things. We have to have the newest, the latest, the greatest, best thing that's out there. Now, things aren't inherently bad. Things themselves are not bad. God has created all things in this world. But it becomes bad when we put those things above and beyond God. When those things become our priority rather than God. Just think, if you were to spend half as much time as you do texting, instead praying or reading the Word of God, how would that impact your life? And also remember, all this stuff that we have, when we leave this earth, we can't take it with us. And so we're reminded by these words of Solomon. He said, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. And yet all too often we, we worship the gift rather than the giver. We get too caught up in the things thinking that they're ours and that they belong to us rather than worshiping the creator and the one who gives us all those things. We fall into these attitudes of thinking it's ours, it all belongs to us, and it's, it's what we want. We feel like we have to have this security blanket that it all belongs to us, or rather, or that we're going to lose security if we don't have certain things. But regardless of where, what thought we have, all those attitudes stem from the thought that we think it all belongs to us. And we put it, we're putting our things, our belongings, the things in this world above God. And that is a sin. Violates the very first commandment, the very first commandment that God gives us, in which he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Because putting things before God is indeed a sin. And so God has given us all that we have in this world. And yet we act like it belongs to us. And so then what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, we flee. But we flee to the one and only person that God tells us to flee. To his Savior. Our, to our Savior, his Son, Jesus Christ. Because God didn't just create us and give us all that we have. He also rescued us from the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. He's rescued us from the mess of sin, death, and the devil. And this, these are his words that he has given to us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the very nature of God. That he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for you. His son, Jesus Christ, who was the richest, the richest above all people in this world. All people, he had all the richest glory and power and honor and majesty. And yet he set it all aside for you. 
For you he set all aside and he came into this world, setting aside all his great riches so that he could be poor. Poor for you and for me. Poor because when people mocked him and spit on him, he didn't fight back. When he was arrested and when he was beaten and he was flogged, he didn't fight back. And when he was led to that cross, hanging there, left to die, he didn't fight back. Setting all aside his glory and power that he had that could have rescued him and saved him from that very moment, and yet he didn't do it. He subjected himself to abject poverty for you and for me. Hanging on that cross, he was left with two things, the only blood in his veins and his life. And he even gave up those for you. Subjected himself to the worst poverty in this world for you. So that you and I could be rich. Because you and I are now the richest people on earth. We are the richest because we've been baptized, we've been clean, we've been marked, we've been made one of his own. And so now you've been adopted, you've been saved, you've been washed clean. You're a child of God, you've been reconciled with God. You're no longer an enemy, but now you're a friend. You are made right with God. And now nothing, nothing can overcome those promises and those gifts that he gives to you. And so no matter how much you may not have in this world, no matter how poor you may be in this world, you are filthy rich. Filthy rich in Jesus Christ. And so we live in a world in which we are richer, far richer than any other culture or country could ever imagine because you have the richness of Jesus Christ. The fact that he subjected himself to abject poverty so that you could be rich. And we go back to God's word to hear again why he's done all of this. He says, we love because he first loved us. God did this out of love. He sent his one and only son out of love. And so we, we give back to the Lord out of love, out of the love that he showed us sending his one and only son into this world, paying the price for you and for me. That's why we give. We give to him out of the love that he first showed us in his son, Jesus Christ. And so our God has made us. He's created us. He's given us all that we have. He's saved us from the mess that we're in. And so then how do we react? How ought we feel? I mean, that, this is the happiest feeling that we could ever have in the world, to know that God has done all of that for you and for me. And even more important, how can we be thankful for all that has, God has done for us? There's a lot of ways. But the first of those is just like Paul said the Macedonians were doing. Because Paul said the Macedonians were being good stewards of God's gift. This is what he says about them. He said they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's the very core of stewardship. Giving all of yourself, all of your body and soul to the Lord. Giving first to him of your body and soul and then also of the gifts that he's given to you because of what he's done for you through his son Jesus Christ. And everything else follows after that because then here again Paul says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present yourselves, your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So you and I can present our lives, our bodies, as living sacrifices to God, living sacrifices because of what Jesus has done for you, because he died and rose so that you could be living, a living sacrifice to God and giving back to him. Giving back to him, first and foremost, of your body and soul. And you can do that because of, the, of what was worked in you in your baptism. The power that was worked in your baptism was began there because everything, even stewardship, flows from that. The, the work that God has done in you. The thing is, is God doesn't make us do it out of fear 
and compulsion. God doesn't make us give because we're merely forced to do so. Rather, he works it in you. He works it in you when you see all that he's done for you. You want to do it and you desire to do it. Ultimately, you want to do it because you're a cheerful giver. Cheerful giver because of what he has given for you, his son, Jesus Christ, the very blood of his own son. So cheerfully, you can give back to him a portion of what he's given to you. Cheerfully, you can give to others your time and talents. Cheerfully, you can give when you want others to know of the kingdom of God and sharing with them the very work that Jesus Christ has done for you, that he has done for all people. God doesn't force us to do it, and we can't do it on our own. Rather, it's a work done in us by God. God works it in you, and he works it in me. When he sends his son to die for you, he forgives your sins, gives you life both now and forever, and he provides all that you'll ever need in this life. And so he works it through your heart. Works it through your heart through word and sacrament so that you can give cheerfully to him. This leads us to our last main principle today of that we give to the Lord. But even before we give a thing back to God, he makes us a promise. And these are his words from, through the prophet Malachi. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, this is one of the very few, if not the only places in which God actually says to test him. Quite often, God always tells us, don't ever put him to the test. But here, God says, put his promise to the test and see that he will not open the heavens for you. See, there's this saying, I don't know where it came from, but I've heard it before, that you can't outgive God. And Jesus also talks about that in Mark chapter 12 when he tells us this story. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she has to live on. Quite an example of faith. This widow who has so little, and yet she literally gives it all to God. She is a great example of faith. And yet God's not asking us to do exactly that. Because God's not asking us to give him literally every single thing we have. If we go back to Malachi, God is talking about the tithe. Giving that 10%, giving back a portion of what he has given to you. Now I know that 10% sounds like a lot, but I want to share with you a personal story. You see, for me, tithing began when I was really, really little. And I would watch my mom and dad tithe as they would, they would hand me their envelope and then I got to put it in the plate and, and I kind of got to pass their tithe along. And as I got older, I had a few pennies in my, cor- in my piggy bank and I put in a little bit. I got older, had jobs, I started putting cash in. And, and it, you know, a little bit every time, but I got to be honest with you, I didn't always tithe. I wasn't always giving that 10% tithe that Malachi talks about. But now, as I'm married with, with my wife, Jordan, and then we have our little one, Charlotte, it, we do seek to tithe, to truly give that 10%. And I know that there's going to be times that are tight. I know that I'm, I'm young and I have many things ahead of me, and there will be some really tight times. Some times when hopefully there's more children in the future, or weddings, or schools to pay for, or those accidentals like the car repairs, or the houses, or, or the thing, surprises at tax season. But it's still my goal to continue that tithe, to continue giving back just a portion to God for all that he's given to me. And, that hope, and I prayerfully can do that cheerfully. 
because of what he's given for me. And so you may not be able to give the tithe. You may not be able to give it all at once right now. You might have to work up to it. But I, I, I challenge you, put God to the test. See that God won't open the doors of heaven for you and he will give you more than you need in this life. And so today, I challenge you to be, I encourage you more so, to be a good steward. To take care of all the gifts that God has given you because God truly has given us a lot. All of creation, all the things around us, but especially his son, Jesus Christ. And seek him in his word, because there he will guide you. So pray to God. Consider that, that tithe or working towards it. But continually pray to God that you can be a cheerful giver, giving back to him for all that he's given you. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.